Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Welcome to Aaron Deal. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I am so thrilled to be here. I feel honored. I feel present. We did some breathing work. I feel I feel here for this. It's terrific. You know, we have a mutual friend. I always have to mention him 50 times during a podcast and Jay Suko turn me on to you and you're fabulous. Oh, your website, what you're doing, what you're teaching. So and your your company is Improv It? Improve It, but you Improve could say it. It, the E is, is like a pun within the word. You could take it or leave it. Okay, Improve It or Improv It, that's you, the founder of that wonderful site and the work that you're doing. Tell me a little bit about your backstory though. Where were you born? What was your family like? And did you know all in the beginning that you wanted to be an actor or something like that? I love this. Okay, so I was born in a huge town. You'll, you're gonna know it, Greenwood, South Carolina. No, um, I was. <laughs> it is a small town in South Carolina, and my family. I have great parents. I was put in dance when I was three years old. My mom still is involved with community theater, and she had me in community theater. She was in, she was Eliza Doolittle and My Fair Lady in Greenwood, South Carolina, and I was um, like a little street peasant girl running around the streets of London uh, in the in the play with her when I was three and a half, four years old. And she, I just loved the stage from a really young age. And I would play Double Dare. I don't know if you know the show Double Dare that was on Nickelodeon back in the 80s, but it was the show. Mark Summers was the host and you would slime people. So I started hosting Double Dare in my living room. And that's my <laughs> whole life. Yeah, I loved it. I just, I love performing. I loved making people laugh. Mm -hmm. It's like my safe space. And really, I moved a lot. So humor was, I lived in South Carolina until I was eight, moved to Georgia, went to high school in a suburb of Detroit, went to Clemson University for undergrad. And every move, what kind of, some might say disassociated me, but what some might say what helped me was humor and laughter and levity and positivity. And that was my calling card. That is how I made connections. And to brighten a room was was the goal always to make people leave feeling happier and better and to brighten their day. Now, this I know we you are, you know, a social worker and we're this also has a therapy element to it, which led to a life of people pleasing, which I'm a recovering people pleaser. We're working on that. <laughs> um, but literally my entire life I loved comedy i did sketch in high school i danced my whole life i loved performing and then 
I went to college. I was a dancer at Clemson for the football, basketball teams, collegiate varsity athlete. Wow. We athletes. We are athletes and um, graduated, moved to Chicago because I was going to be a talk show host. I was going to be Oprah. So naturally I should move <laughs> where Oprah lives. And I said, what does an improviser or what does a talk show host do? Well, it was the early 2000s. There weren't like a lot of courses online on how to be a talk show host. So I said I should take some improv classes, sign up for Second City and never looked back. Wow. Had you done some improv in high school and college? Did they offer it in, when you were studying? You know, I didn't. They did not at Clemson. I had a theater. So I, I almost minored in theater. I actually minored in psychology, but I took a lot of theater courses. They did not offer improv at Clemson University in wow. Clemson, South Carolina. However, when I moved to Chicago, this is a fun story. I literally moved with $300 in my bank account. I sold my car to make rent and I walked my naive, confident self into the actor's equity office with no card to audition for this off-Broadway show, The Awesome 80s Prom they had a dance element to it so i was a dancer so i knew i could nail that part and it was a completely loosely based improv show it was kind of like tony and tina's wedding very right, interactive right. but set yeah. in a prom in the 80s and i got cast in the original cast in chicago made 50 dollars three nights a week so i made 150 bucks with my, uh -huh. my college degree and got an internship at PR casting it used to be TPR casting in downtown Chicago, one of the biggest casting agencies there for free. So unpaid. And then I worked at a bar and I worked seven days a week and made, you know, the cash that I made working at a restaurant and the 150 bucks that I made doing this comedy show. And that's where I really got my improv chops. I was working with some of the best improvisers in Chicago at the time. And I did not have the improv chops that they had. I had the dance skills yeah. and I was, I knew I was, I could be funny, but improv actually really scared me in the beginning. Wow. So, so wait a minute, I want to go back to you working in a bar. I was a cocktail waitress in Manhattan for a while with a, a degree in English. So that served me very well. <laughs> so there's something about working in a bar, you, you know, talk about character work. You get a lot of different characters when you're working in a bar. Oh uh, my God. Sure. You're, you're like a therapist. You're literally a therapist for the regular. Right. right, right. <laughs> so when you went to Second City, tell me about some of the teachers you worked with back in the day. Oh there. my God. So I actually went in my early 20s and then I started booking hosting gigs that kept me out of the city for like five years. And then I went back. So one of my first teachers was Kim. Really great last name. Can't remember. She's on LinkedIn. Kim, but she's Kimmy. Kimmy to a lot of people. She's like level A first teacher. She's awesome. Then I had this woman, Ariana Noble, who's no longer there, I know, but she was wonderful left for about four years traveling on the road came back guess who was my first teacher back in the game mr j suko wow <laughs> and i will tell you because i was using improv as i was doing these hosting mc gigs um however i really missed the art form i really missed the stage element of it um 
I was doing a lot of script work. So I really missed that. And the moment I stepped foot in his classroom, level C at Second City, when I was like 26 years old. I remember taking a deep breath and just saying to myself, this is where I belong. This is it. Because I could just be free. I could just yes. be my weird big self. Um, and I just kept going from there. And then I had Craig Euler. Who else? I'm trying to think. Oh, my God. Tim. Mm, blanking on his name. And then I went to IO and Annoyance. And Jay was my coach for a bunch of different independent teams I was a part of. A really big impact in my life. He really he helped me understand the fundamentals and learn to love the art form and see the crossover and actually when i told him about this idea for improve it i actually looked at these photos the other day he was he went to coffee with me he was like yes you have to do this he was the first person to say you should you have to do this like you should do this we threw a soft lunch party when we opened in 2014 and he was there. I have pictures of him doing shake it out, but a really big mentor in my life, especially in the early stages of my improv career. And so generous with his time, his care. And as I mentioned, he's been my coach for a while and just, it, it, even if I need him as a therapist, I'll send him a message and he gets back really quickly to me. Uh, what a wonderful gift to have him as a teacher. Did you ever do comedy sports because you got that physicality? I didn't do comedy sports. That's the one I didn't do. I actually, so I went from Second City, did some independent teams. Then I went to IO, learned that methodology. Then I went to Annoyance. Yes. And annoyance is where I found my voice. Mick Napier. Yeah. Susan Messing. Was, and Susan Messing, yeah. Oh, my God. She was incredible. I'll say this. I play big, I and it's something I really try to work on is playing close to my spine, but I have a big personality, so it just tends to go there. And in the beginning, it was off-putting to a lot of people that I played with. I know that. I recognize that. I learned to reel it in at IO and then at annoyance, I learned to, can I swear on this show? Can I swear? Yes. I learned to stick to my shit. I learned that if I go big, I'm going to stay big the rest of that scene. I learned that if I make a small choice to stay with that small choice, but stick to my shit. And it allowed me to be the weirdo that I sometimes wanted to be on stage because I do believe improv is therapy. I believe we're able to work out things in our day-to-day -day lives on the stage and annoyance showed me how to do that. Then I went to this theater that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, but it was called Under the Gun. And I produced and ran and um, played in this show called will you accept this rose an improvised parody of the bachelor we ran that show for a year and a half <laughs> and we had actual people from the show the actual bachelor come and we would interview them i was christina harrison that's when i really started to just say i know how to work on stage with many different types of personalities that's when I saw the work of all of those schools combined come to life. 
Wow, that is incredible. And it's such a beautiful journey you just described. How wonderful. And going big. I I think we're all kind of weird. I think everybody's kind of weird. in yeah. way. But especially improvisers. We're just a weird bunch. And you got into it right away and you're directing and producing. And did you write sketch at all? Or were you just mostly, yeah, do some sketch? And, and did you have some women uh, improvisers besides your teachers that were great teammates that you played with that you can remember? Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's interesting. The director of talent at Improve It, her name is Christy Mercier. We met going through IO level four. She was the funniest female improviser at ever witnessed. Now, unfortunately, my experience, uh, the beginning of my second city journey, I had two female teachers. My experience through IO is that I had one female teacher the entire time, levels one through five B. Annoyance, I had Susan Messing, and that was it in terms of female teachers. Love my, love the male teachers, but as a female performer, you want somebody who understands you and you want to somebody to emulate and to follow. And so when I saw Christy perform, I thought to myself, she's the funny, I never saw her be bad. I thought she's the funniest girl ever. I'm going to make her my friend. So we became friends. Well, she was legit the first person who I said, I'm doing this. I'm going to need teams of improvisers to build and prove it. Would you like to join? She said, yes, sign me up to this day. She's been with me since day one. We have 22 improv professionals that wow. help facilitate our workshops all across the U.S. She leads that team. She staffs our workshops. She handles the logistics of our workshops. She is my right hand when it comes to facilitating and being in person and online. She's helped me revise and revamp and tweak a ton of our work. And I met her at IO and she is my, my work partner for life and dear friend. And I'm so grateful. And through that, and then her connections, we brought on a lot of the improv professionals through my time at Under the Gun. We brought in a ton of those people to the Improve It scene. And yeah, improvisers are a small world. We're such a great community. And they, it's really referral based when we were holding auditions, how mm -hmm. we brought on our team members. And now we have this great great amazing group of individuals who i'm so proud of some are who were on main stage etc long-running io teams crushing it boats ships torcos all the things and they are just my, my greatest gift is watching them succeed in this journey yes yes so yeah. cool so cool it's wonderful let's go back a little bit because you mentioned only having one female teacher at one school. And a friend of mine, Amy Selim, wrote a book called Whose Improv Is It Anyway? I don't mm. know if you read it or not. <laughs> no, but I want to. But it's a history of improv through the eyes of a feminist. And um, some of the stories are kind of blood curdling that she tells. And a lot has changed today. But back in 2000, it was still a male-dominated art form. And a lot of times it was four white guys on stage and um, can we talk a little bit about that? That Did you have that experience, that feeling like, you know, we're being, um, well, I'm always assigned to be a mother or grandmother, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, 
It can't be anything else. So let's talk about that a little bit, Erin. Yeah, no, I totally hear you because I'll tell you it's true. Even I did my training 2005 to 2007 and then like 2010 to 2016, let's say. And even in the time that I was there, my five Bs, I was one of two women in my 5B class at IO, which is the performance round where you make an IO team, a hero team, one of two women. And they have, I will say this, for me as a female improviser and performer, it was actually really hard because there are certain things that, yes, I was stereotyped too, but because I was very coherent to that and really aware i made different choices on stage that i'm not going to be your wife i'm going to be the weird girl that comes out of the corner from the dumpster or like, i'm going to be i'll be a guy if i want i'll be anything i want to be and so being aware of it was really interesting and i do think having people like Susan Messing, having these fantastic female improvisers to watch and to see grow has been a really big influence on me. And watching the women that I have and know currently in the improv community in Chicago, LA, New York, who are crushing it right now today makes me so happy. It is so fantastic. You're seeing a lot more women. You're seeing you're seeing these theaters really focus on diversity, not just from gender, but from different races and ethnicities. And pronouns are she, he, they, which I am so here for. I want yes. to see that on stage. We want to see people who look like a ton of different people in the world, not just who we are, who we think should be up there. And it's been really nice to witness that shift. And I will say, I know we still have a lot of work left to do, a lot yes. of work left to do. But witnessing from where I was in the early 2000s till now, progress has been made. There's yeah. still so much to do. There still is. That's, yeah, that's for sure. So, and I entered uh, improv as an older, <laughs> um, a vintage type person. And so the challenges for me were a lot because I couldn't move as quickly. I couldn't play dead on the floor and get up really quickly. You know, there were a lot of things. Um, so now let me ask you, when you started Improve It, what was your vision in the beginning? What did you decide you wanted to do? What was your dream? It's a great question. <laughs> I basically had no idea what I was doing. If I'm being honest, I knew we wanted to do soft skill workshops. In the beginning, I thought it would be teams of improvisers. And then we would give a portion of the proceeds that we received back to this charity that we were partnered with at the time, Funny Bones Improv, which helped sick children in hospitals. Had a real charity drive to it. Our tagline was applause for a cause. And that, were, here's me being a naive business owner. We were giving 20% of gross revenue to charity, to zero. That's basically, we made 
like 5% of every profit after we were paying out our teams, paying taxes, paying expenses, and then paying this charity. So we, we scaled that back. It was a lot of learning, a lot of growth for myself because I had never run a business before. All I had was this vision and this hope to help people using this healing power of improv, this wonderful art form, which we see people shine with. We see people come into a room as a group of 20 individuals and leave an ensemble of 20. And it is wonderful to witness. I had the vision. I didn't necessarily have the exact roadmap. So through trial and error, I went through probably two years of just figuring it out as we went, just as you know, one of the biggest gifts or one of the biggest rules of improv, there are no mistakes, only gifts. There were a lot of gifts, quote unquote, during that time, a lot of fails. Um, and then I got into the 10,000 small business program from Goldman Sachs, which is a free, awesome program for business owners. It's basically a grad school for a business owner who already has a business. That taught a lot me about or taught me a lot about business decision making, profit and loss, how to scale teams, how to scale a business. But in the beginning, it was one foot in front of the other. And if somebody asked me, do you have a workshop on X? I would say, yes. And then we would create it. Right. Now, right, right. <laughs> now we're, we have tried and true methodologies and 10 different workshops with pre-work and post-work and it's built. In the beginning, it was built on basic on what people needed, what the need was. That's amazing and a beautiful story. And your website uh, is just fantastic. I'm going to have the link to that in this in this uh, podcast. The um, I, I took your inner child test today. And um, can you tell me a little bit about how you came on? About, it's about wellness and self-care and how you developed that that uh, program and a, a free workbook that goes with it, which is beautiful. Yes, thank you. And I got to give a lot of credit to Nicole and my team. This is her baby. We we creatively, yes, and did the idea together. She took those ideas and ran with it and created it. So kudos to Nicole. So I'm going to make this short because it's a long story, but a lot of the work we did in the past seven years was professionally development based. I truly believe that in order to show up as the best leader and the best version of you at work, you have to give to yourself first. It's the age old saying, put your oxygen mask on first and it's fill your tea kettle before you can fill other people's teacups. I was filling a lot of teacups for a long time. Here comes that people pleasing. And I forgot about the kettle and I burnt out. I hit a physical bottom because I manifested physical pain in my body due to unprocessed emotions that I didn't deal with over the course of many years. The pandemic was really hard for our business. We had everything was built in person. We had to make it completely virtual in order to survive. I went through a lot of infertility, had a baby right when this all happened, came back to work. Our business implodes, which is a lot of my self-identity. My mom had a stroke, almost dies, and I moved across the country. <laughs> Just a few small things. <laughs> It was a personal journey 
And what I used in that time was a lot of the tips and tricks from the improv stage and my own healing pat, my own healing techniques that I developed through spiritual work and um, a lot of mindfulness practices. That focus and that inner shift and reconnecting with who I truly am, aka my inner child created this shift in the work that we do to focus on self-care to put your needs first and put energy into yourself so you can give that energy to others and if you can give that positive energy the energy you really want to put out to others imagine what you can attract and magnetize into your life the team the people the relationships anything so this wellness workbook that you took is called play your way into wellness you can get it just by going to our website a pop-up will come on you just put in your email and then it takes you to a quiz that asks you <laughs> several questions about your wellness avatar which you're the indifferent which which i love <laughs> and it tells you how you feel about your personal self-care and then it gives you this workbook with improv techniques energy boosters, as well as daily rituals that you can incorporate in your life for your specific avatar, wellness avatar, to help you put more energy into yourself first so that you can give to others. It's, it's a wonderful resource. And I think you're going to be flooded with requests for it now because this podcast is international. It's actually uh, intergalactic. So we'll, we'll you know, have some interesting people signing up from Zulu Palala. Um, yes. so, I, I so you have a little boy named Jackson. So the fertility did work out, but that's a very stressful thing, fertility issues for women. And a lot of, you know, I'm hoping you didn't have postpartum because that's a major problem for so many women and they don't even realize that that it exists. Um, but you have a beautiful child, Jackson, and you said he's got a good sense of humor. I bet. Yeah, it's funny. Well, and to your point, yes, it was a journey and a half super you know, here for anybody who is going through that, listening to the show, did an episode on it on our show too, about my own infertility journey. It was infertility with genetic disorder, which was another level that we didn't know we would ever have. So my child is truly, Jackson is a miracle. He had a very high probability of being born completely deaf and he can hear and he is very verbose and very, very verbal, does not stop talking. And watching him, as you said to me before we hit record, has been the greatest, it is the greatest teaching of my life. I learn more about myself watching him and I learn so much about how I wanna see the world through his eyes. It's refreshing and his inner child is there. And as we grow up, we lose that and he reminds me every single day to just be and just play. And that's what improv oh, is. Yes. Yes. Just play. Yes. So a pregnant pause she took. <laughs> perfect. Oh, perfect word choice. <laughs> I I, um, does he like to dance? Do you dance with Jackson? Oh yeah. We have a sign in our kitchen that says this kitchen is for dancing. We have dance parties. He, he, I'm going to say this. I feel like we're a spiritual connected place here. 
I don't call myself super religious. I feel very connected to my inner self. I feel very connected to my inner guides. I feel very connected to spirit. And my son, I'm going to reveal this here. He sees angels in his room and he talks about it. And he's three and a half. And it's just beautiful to watch. Like I'll hear him talking to them. And I'll be like, who are you talking to? It's like Abby Angel, you know? And so maybe it's a made up, friend that he made up i don't think so because i we see it on the ring light that we have in his room the ring little doorbell thing we have one of those in his room you can mm -hmm. see orbs in his room at wow. night wow it's fascinating and he when he was born the nurses when they put him literally on my chest they said he has an old soul wow and i a lot of people get taken aback by it. like how did they know and, and nurses see these these you know, these nurses that deliver babies see all types of babies every single day. That statement has rang true every single time I witness him be kind and empathetic. And he just has this intuition about him where he just at three and a half years old understands human emotions really, really well. And of course, there's times that he's three and a half, but ingrained in him is this concept of empathy and kindness that I don't see in a lot of children. And I know he's my own, so I might be biased, but truly watching him. And we also preach that to him, kindness, love, compassion, all those things. But I witness it and I watch how he interacts with kids and people and people feel that they're really drawn to him because I bet. I bet. Yeah, he he's got that energy. That. He's got that energy that draws people in. And I, I believe spirituality is so far away from what we talk about in religion. Yes. And that if we can enter a spiritual place, whatever that means for each person, I would love to meet him. I might have to come up to Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> come on up from Naples. Yeah, I love that it's up for you. I love that. <laughs> come on up. Come on up. He's a good one. He's a good egg. Now, let me ask you about your husband. You were married, I think, uh, 2014, did I read? Two yeah. Yep, 2013. 13, okay. So, yeah, you're kind of a newlywed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how'd you meet him and, and what's he like? So, it's our 10-year anniversary this year, which is crazy. And we've been together for 15 years. Um, this is a funny story. So, we both went to Clemson. Huh? We did not know each other until we moved to Chicago and we met through a mutual friend at the bar I worked at Duffy's Bar and Grill. It was a very classy establishment. No, it wasn't. You would take a Jaeger bomb with your table as during your shift. Um, but he and I met, we were both dating other people at the time. We're great friends, would hang out because we both were Clemson grads in Chicago and then two years later, we both ended up single at the same time. And I remember meeting him the very first time. And he has this big smile. Like you meet John, all you think about is this big grin. And I literally thought to myself when I first met him, I said, oh my God, he just smiled that way at me, right? Like I totally just thought it was for me. He, he smiles like that every day to everyone. But I felt this connection. As soon as I was single, I said to one of my girlfriends, I'm gonna date John Deal. And so I called him up, we started hanging out and we were friends. So it took a long yes. time yes. to switch. And I called him my man friend for a long time. And then I was woman friend. And then we became 
he actually announced a relationship. This is back like in, when Facebook, you would put your relationship status on Facebook. He did that. And I was like, what? And so, um, <laughs> but he is my best friend. And I really, you know, spiritually speaking, I think our souls have been intertwined for a long time, but he's the, he, I'm the crazy, he's the calm and he keeps me grounded and I make his life a little more fun. But he is fun too. He's really fun. But I think, you know, I I am an ideas person and I'm constantly seeking adventure. He loves adventure, but he's more practical. And so we make a good pair in that way. Oh, that's a wonderful love story. I love that so much. And happy anniversary. That's terrific. Thank that's you. fantastic. So when you're doing, you're doing so many things. You put out something on LinkedIn, I think every day. You have something to say every day. Followers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and how many podcasts do you think you've done? I don't know. A lot. Well, a lot. on our show, we're like at 150 something plus mini sods. So like 200 episodes probably there. And then on guest spots, a lot, a lot. I don't know, maybe 50 or more. Wow. That is wonderful. I'm up to 150 now. That's amazing. Another thing we have in common. I start almost immediately. I started doing the podcast and it was meant to be for therapists um, because when I discovered improv, I thought after my first class, I said, oh, this could be used in therapy. And this is about 12 years ago. Right. And I thought, oh. I can write a book. Oh, I can give tours because I was already a speaker on other on humor and laughter. And I can do all these great things connecting improv with therapy. And then I went home and I went online and I saw, oh, there's books on this. There's a lot <laughs> of people doing it. Kind of bursty old balloon. But because improv is so therapeutic. It is so therapeutic. Now you have themes for your podcast, don't you? You have specific themes yeah. for your podcast. But let me ask you this. Let me tell you something about what you just said. Listen, there's so many different ways to to put improv into any application. Yes. No one's going to do it like you. And so I thought the same thing when I looked at improv for the business world, because people do it. Tons of people do it. Nobody's going to do it like us. And nobody's going to do it like the way that you do your therapy, the way that you put improv into your sessions, because you are that special sauce. So I want you to remember that because I have held that limiting belief for a little bit. That's why I sat on this idea a long time. And then I realized I could, and that's a thing. Like I've, I've scaled the business. So like my team can now facilitate the workshops they add their own special flair every single time. It's their own personality to that session. Yes, yes. And so we kind of match sometimes the personality of the group with what facilitator we know will work best with that type of population. And you can, you can do anything you want. It's, I think anyone who incorporates improv is making the world better. Jay says this, I say this too. If the whole world could take an improv class, the world would just be such oh, a better place. Such a better place. So there was a word that I focused on on your site, and that was about compare. Don't compare. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about that a little bit, because I know I've been guilty of that. I will compare myself to another actor, improviser, and um, 
know, it's not good to walk behind or in front of, but it's best to walk together with other colleagues. Yeah. Let's talk about comparing ourselves a little bit, Erin. Okay, so I'm really studying this a lot. And comparisonitis is a real disease. I will say, I'm going to go down the spiritual path again with you because I am a student in A Course in Miracles. I really believe in... Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> and I love Marianne Williamson's Return to Love. I'm reading The Course now. And what comparisonitis is rooted in is fear, which we are born with love in our hearts and we learn this fear along the way and that comes in many forms it comes from society it comes from groups telling us how to think whether it be politics religion what have you it comes in many different forms but where comparisonitis is stemmed from is in fear and when we allow fear to rule our minds our minds rule our bodies which this goes into that whole conversation i was talking about how i manifested physical pain i allowed fear and anger and on these emotions that i just stuffed down inside of me to fester so when you allow comparisonitis to happen consistently all you're doing is telling yourself a narrative about yourself that is untrue and i actually have a really quick improv-based activity that your listeners can use when you would go down this rabbit hole and it's rooted from the stage Best news is you don't need a stage or a scene partner to do it because the scene partner is your mind, mine. <laughs> about to blow it. Um, so, okay, so it's new choice and that's a tried and true improv game. Any improviser listening to the show will know it. Here's how it works when you go down those limiting belief rabbit holes and you start comparing yourself to other people. As soon as you start to think that negative choice, as soon as your mind tells you that you're not good enough, you're not as good of an improviser as so-and-so, you can never be as great of an entrepreneur as this person. You can't be as great of a therapist as this person. You're going to stop yourself by clapping and saying new choice, new choice. Then here's the most important part. You forgive yourself for that negative thought. So you tell yourself, I forgive you. And then you replace that negative thought with a more kind, loving, positive thought instead. So if I was thinking to myself, oh man, I'm not as good of an improviser as Susan, which I don't even mean Susan Messing. It's Susan's just a name I use, but let's even Susan Messing. I'm not as good of an improviser as Susan. I would, new choice forgive myself, reframe. And that's where you reframe with, you know, I don't have the years of stage experience. However, I have life experience where I'm able to see the connection between improv and my work. And that's what I'm going to teach with. That's what I'm going to lead with. And that's going to be my differentiator. And I'm so happy for Susan and her success. Yes, yes, yes. And what it does is it re it, puts us in this positive mind space. It gives us a better mind to walk around with, and it allows us to take that negative thought and replace it with love. So it removes fear, it brings love. Our thoughts make us turn, or our thoughts turn into words. Right. Our words turn into actions. So if you can start with your thoughts, first 
that will, again, is what it does is it changes your words, which then you're going to go out and feel more confident. That's your action. And you're going to pursue the thing that you were put here for versus the thing that Susan is put here for. And it just, no one is better. Everyone is connected. We all have our own paths. So when we really rely and, and look at other people's paths and confuse that with our own, we're creating fear in our minds because that's not where we're supposed to go. I um, I love the course. There's an acronym for fear I like, and it's false evidence appearing real. Yes. And for any listeners that are not familiar with the course in miracles, I suggest I even buy copies of Love is Letting Go of Fear by Gerald Jemplonsky. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of a cliff note version of the course. And it has some of my favorite settings, uh, sayings rather like, I can see peace instead of this. Yes. And some of the the lessons from the course are so helpful in, in life as well. And that's a great message. I am just, I feel like we're kindred spirits. I do too. Um, I do too. I love it. Your energy is awesome. You have a calming presence like combined with this awesome humor so i love talking to you yeah, this is fantastic so um what's your plan coming up now you're doing so many different things and actually you've been mentioned in forbes and you have incredible clients from all kinds of different businesses mm -hmm. so do you have something you're planning for the future and oh do you ever do improv shows anymore so okay i personally haven't performed and probably since the pandemic like 2019 maybe even 2018 however we created something that was put into forbes during the pandemic called laugh breaks and those are for teams who need just some laughter in their meetings so you can it's like uber you can book a laugh break on our website within 48 hours and a team of us four improvisers will show up we'll do 20 minute sets 30 minute sets 45 minute sets you get a host and three improvisers all virtually and it's really fun it's that that's what connected my team and i during the pandemic we did so many of these during wow. the pandemic so many we still do them but on a on a smaller scale because people are back in person um and on the workshop side i have sort of i'm still doing them but more sporadically i'm giving more to my team the majority to my team and i'm focusing on keynotes and that was like a huge limiting belief moment that i had to get over but i finally feel i've stepped into the right space i've that keynote i have two keynotes but the the one that i really tweaked and have refined is called f words at work and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it really connects audiences with their mind and body and yes. helps them redefine failure and so that is and a project that i'm working on that i haven't really said anything about yet but it's it is it's a big one and I'm excited about it. Yes. Not yet, but I'm working on it. And it, it's it's been an evolution for myself of self-discovery. If I'm being honest, I had to go through this, so, this self-healing journey, which we did a whole series on on our show. Because if I didn't go through it, I wouldn't be able to teach what I'm teaching right now. So I went through like my own period of, of self-discovery to get to this place to connect the mind and the body at work and to help people 
hopefully not have to go through what I went through to, cause I, I had a lot of physical pain for a couple of years. And, wow. um, once I realized how to heal that myself, I literally healed myself. Doctors could not diagnose it. And it was, you know, blood work, autoimmune testing, x-rays, all the things. And I was in physical pain morning to night, cried myself to sleep. Mm. I recognized it all started with my mental health. And once I healed that, I was on a mission to help so many people do the same. And that's really where I'm at right now is that mission. And, and, you know, I heard this saying, I haven't told my team this, so I don't know how they feel about this, but, um, I heard somebody say this recently that she's an entrepreneur. She has this awesome team. I have the best team in the whole world, but she's the visionary. They're the missionaries. And it feels like I, you know, I have to constantly create to keep the wheels going. Yes. And then I have the right people in place helping fulfill that mission and spread it out to the world. Finally, it's, I mean, not finally, we've always had great people, but I feel like I'm in the right seat now, whereas the pandemic, I was just trying to keep my head above water to fix it, to get us to be able to still survive the whole thing. So you're kind of like the Louise Hayes of improv. Oh my God. What? <laughs> no way. No way. Oh, that is amazing. I love her. Oh my God. Oh, I know. So, you know, the whole idea about being so disconnected from your body is one of the things I love to do when I teach is I play music at the top of the class mm -hmm. and get people moving. If they can stand, they stand. If not, they just do as much. I, I did study uh, dance briefly in New York and I love to dance in it and connecting with our body because so many times people are just talking heads and I'm not talking about just, you know, Zoom or online, but they're, they're just here in their heads and to connect with our bodies, like to feel your right big toe and feel your left pinky toe or whatever. And I love teaching people how to connect with their bodies. And I, I know you're wonderful at it as well. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. So what about performing on stage again and doing shows? Have We kind of glossed over that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I, you know, you're right. I, so it, it, I know why I stopped. I had a baby oh, <laughs> well, and, yeah. and, and the personal and, and the world stopped. Right. And so I was kind of at that point too, where like a 10 o'clock show just like wasn't feasible for me right, anymore. Right. Um, and I, I here in Charleston, there's an awesome group called theater 99 that I've seen a couple of shows. They're great. They're fantastic improvisers. I should connect with them. Can I just tell you what it is though? It's like, you know, most shows happen at night and yes. I've given so much during the day and then I have, and this is part of my wellness journey. I give and I give and I give, like that is all I'm doing is giving energy to my clients, our team, our community. Then I stop work and I have to go give to my son. By 8.30 at night, I have nothing left to give. And maybe that'll change in a season of my life where he's older and doesn't need me as much. My husband travels quite a bit. He has to go up to Chicago every three weeks for work. That was the game plan for us to move here. Um, and I just, I, I miss it, but I feel very creatively fulfilled in this work and doing keynotes right now. I hope to someday get back to it. Just maybe when Jackson is like, seven. <laughs> 
right, these, these years are really precious and special. They are just new things are happening every day with him, I'm sure. And yeah. it's an awesome journey. And to have an incredible, wonderful mommy like you who dances and sings and plays with him. What a what a gift that is that you're giving. And thank you. You as well. Well, I just love talking with you, and I think I'm going to connect with you again after this um, because I think you're doing an incredible job bringing improv to the world. And though my listeners can't see it, there's a sign behind you that says "Fail!" Yay! <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, and it yep, that's my reminder to celebrate the 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 no mistakes, only gifts rule. Anything that comes into my life that seems like a mistake is supposed to be there. So fail, yeah, fail, yeah. And to tie in, it was no mistake inviting you here today. <laughs> well, I have loved chatting with you. You are wonderful. You are spreading so much greatness and goodness with your improv for wellness company. And I'm so excited that you are doing that. I really think so if everyone could use this as a teaching tool, again, what a world, but keep doing the wonderful work you're doing and performing and playing and dancing and all the things that you do to bring joy. Thank you. Well, thank you, Erin, and have a beautiful day. And thank you again. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.